Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today, we are going to talk about establishing a point of view for your brand. This sounds like fun. It does. <laughs> <laughs> so last week, we had guest Ramona Russell on, and she talked quite a bit about her, well, she's a PR strategist, and she talked about being a thousand percent yourself in your marketing. And she, she mentioned things like story and not being afraid to talk about you or yourself and also opinions and what your opinions are about your area of expertise. And that's kind of the jumping off point for this week. So this isn't something, so point of view, I, I suspect that we both do the same thing with regard to helping people to find their point of view, but I don't call it that. So maybe you could start off by defining what your what a point of view would be for someone's brand and why it matters. And then we can move on to maybe uh, a process for helping people find it. Well, yeah, Jonathan, and I want to hear, you know, what you call it and how you do it. Cause I think, you know, there's lots of ways to, to approach this one, but so to me, the point of view is what you believe to be true around your area of expertise. So uh, if you are a, an engineering consultant, um, chances are you're a specialized engineering consultant. What do you believe to be true about that? And how do you work with clients, for example? So, so uh, an, an aspect of a point of view could be that you believe that uh, the client has the answer and your job is to help them surface it. That could be part of a point of view versus being the person who comes in arms waving saying, here's the answer, here's the answer. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not just technical, although there's an aspect of that, but it's it's I think of it as almost a 360 degree view of what you believe to be true in your area of expertise and for your audience slash your brand. So it's putting your personality in there, your opinions as as Ramona called it, um, and and this can. Sometimes people call this a manifesto. I think of it slightly different because this point of view, once you have it, you might never put it in print anywhere, but it's what informs everything that you write or that you deliver through media, as an example. Okay, so how does it, it's, but it's different than the big idea itself. It's, I feel like it's yes. more like your voice, your, your, the lens through which you view the world, the, um, uh, it's almost like a litmus test. I mean, it's sort of like a brand manifestation of your personality, it seems like. Yeah, it's it's almost a how for the big idea, but not exactly. Hmm. So, you know, it, this is how do you express that big idea? You know, if my big idea is be unforgettable, well, you know, there's a lot of ways you could be unforgettable. What's the core belief system around that? And so so it, it takes a while to, you know, think that through. But everybody has a point of view. They just haven't articulated it yet. Mm. Okay. So I'm thinking of a few different examples that, to, that I, I see as this, and perhaps it will help kind of instantiate it for the listener. So... I think someone like Elon Musk comes to mind only only because I, uh, you know, he's public about this. But he, when he's making decisions and thinking about things, he takes it down to first principles, the sort of irreducible uh, truths mm -hmm. that you know. Uh, or Jeff Bezos has a similar sort of thing where you know it's not it's not Amazon's big idea, but it's important to him that 
he comes at the he comes at the business world from the standpoint of you know no one's ever going to want their stuff shipped slower or more expensively <laughs> right it's just true mm-hmm. like it's never mm-hmm. not going to be like that so and that's but you, you could argue it though you know you could argue that you could say that there are exceptions to that and there are probably niche players that do that but for that is clearly a core driving belief that they're betting on it's probably a safe bet but you know they really adhere to that uh and i so here's the thing though so when i think about it to use myself as an example i am certainly opinionated and i often recommend and you know to myself and students that they take a contrarian stance in their area of expertise as long as they can support it mm-hmm. not just a trolley like you know saying yes because everybody else is saying no not you know zagging when everyone's zigging just because but mm-hmm. you've you've got some you know you with me obviously it's hourly billing it's nuts and everyone's like whoa we weren't even questioning that like like what are you talking about um, but there are other things like there, there, so that's like a contrarian state. Would you, would you lump that into a point of view or is that more like the big idea? Well, I think it, it depends just having a contrarian stance. I don't, I don't see as either. Um, but in the point of view, you could take a contrarian stance on specific points. Okay. Um, I just see it as one point. So your contrarian stance could be about the issue which is hourly billing is nuts. Mm-hmm. It could be about your clients. The client isn't always right. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be about, let's see, what else is an example of something that would be contrarian. Um, Leadership starts in the middle. You know, there, there's. Yeah, yeah. Anything like that as it relates to your area of expertise, but also your personality. You know, if you're the kind of person who doesn't suffer fools kindly, mm-hmm. then you're going to word your point of view to weed out the idiots because mm-hmm. they're going to hate you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just not going to be your people. Right. So it's part of it is 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 the language crafting, which I think comes later. The important part is getting the planks of it right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So there's another thing that that I find myself saying a lot, which feels like it falls into this category. When when people ask me what my you know as a consultant, what's my deliverable, and you, I could say things. Yeah, I could say all sorts of things like, oh, you know, at the end of this, you're going to have, you know, a mobile friendly website. People are going to love it. Your conversion numbers are going to increase. Yada yada yada. But really, I feel like my deliverable is 100% customer satisfaction. Like that to me is the thing I'm trying to create. And that drives all of the questions that I have for them in like the sales process and then throughout the project, because I don't have an agenda really of like, oh, I think that the web should be built like this and everything should be mobile friendly and accessible. And like, I believe that, but I'm not going to enforce it on my clients if that doesn't serve their business goals. So what is the status? What is the business goal they're trying to achieve? And me satisfying that is my actual goal. And, you know, presumably I would use my, bring my skills in my area of expertise to bear to achieve that. That's probably why they're talking to me in the first place, because there's a possible overlap there. Mm-hmm. But I, would you call that a point of view? And it feels like it is to me, it feels like that. Um, well, the way I would, it, yes, it could be part of it. I mean, I, I think you'd have to define it. Right. Because if it was just 100 percent customer satisfaction, then that could take you all over the lot, because what you what you would also have in the point of view is who's your ideal client. 
Agreed. And mm-hmm. how do you serve them? And then you add this in. Absolutely. I see that as part of it because it's, to me, that's a lens. Mm-hmm. If okay. that's your lens, you're going to do things differently than somebody else who theoretically does exactly the same thing except for that. Mm. Okay. So maybe we should, maybe we should shift into how you would dig this out of somebody. Cause I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm shooting at the target, but I'm not hitting the target. Well, you're going to laugh. This is how simple it really is, is, is take out a sheet of paper or a clean word document and write the words, I believe at the top, right? I believe dot, 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 and then start writing. What do you believe to be true about your work, about your audience, about um, your belief, your core belief system? You know, are people mostly good? Are they mostly bad? I'm not saying that's going to make it into your final uh, viewpoint, but you want to get down all the things that you believe to be true. Okay. And by the way, side sidebar on this is some people have done this exercise and used the edited, edited result for, from just the I believe as a manifesto. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about like Blair N's manifesto, it's right. kind of like this. You know, I believe this. That's yes. that's really what a manifesto is, and that's where you're you start for a point of view because, you know, you're most people listening to this are independent. You're working for yourself, mm-hmm. which means not only do you get to decide what this is going to be, it's you must. That's how you're going to differentiate yourself from everybody else in the space. And mm. this this point of view, once you hone it, is what drives all of the other pieces of your brand. It's strategic, but it drives the tactical. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. So this is much broader than I was picturing. So that's cool. It, it also kind of reminds me of what people sometimes in kind of management circles would ta- call uh, the values of the organization. In this case, it'd be one person it kind of sounds like that to me where it could be pretty well how how focused would it be on just the area of expertise or would you also put in things like you know uh, people should be treated the way that you want to be you know you should treat people the way that you want to be treated and uh, you know the latest deviation from the truth is magnified a thousand fold down the line you know like what you know like how personal does it get pretty it sounds pretty personal well, I, I, when I'm putting a brand together for someone else, the values exercise is separate from this, okay. um, but it drives it mm-hmm. for me. And, and again, when I say for me, I'm looking at someone else writing it for them. So I'm looking at what's the value system and what do I know about their area of technical expertise and what do I know about them as human beings? When you're, when you're writing it yourself, I think... I think you have to be aware of your values, but I don't think they have to be specific bullet points in here unless it's, you know, I have somebody who has a no asshole rule. Okay. <laughs> That's actually in there. And and that makes sense to me because it's so much a part of how they work. So it, to the extent that value is just, you know, like a flaming neon sign in front of you, I say put it in. And and even if it doesn't survive the final POV, it probably um, impacts how you write what you ultimately choose to say about your point of view. Mm, okay. Yeah, this is interesting. So I, I, it seems incredibly, it's not incredibly, like especially, that's what I'm trying to say. It seems especially valuable in a situation where, you know, like someone like you is working with a client and to get those things on paper, which are, which may be obvious to the client, 
you know, in their heads or maybe not, maybe not fully articulated and thought through, but they're all kind of, they're there. That's where they came from when they write, you know, I believe they write it down. The person mm-hmm. already believes those things. So they're in right. there already, but being able to work with someone like you, it's ab- seems absolutely critical to get that out on paper so that you can uh, have a higher degree of confidence that you are making good choices on their behalf or advising them in the right way. Well, it sounds wonky. I mean, I know it sounds really wonky, but it, because I think you're right. I think most people do have this inside, but writing it down is a powerful act and, and seeing it. And, and this is true if you write it yourself as well, is seeing that in black and white makes you say, wow. Mm-hmm. So I really do feel strongly about this. And then later when you go back and and compare this document to what you say about yourself out in the world, your website, your marketing materials, social media profiles. You know, a lot of times there's a disconnect that you can very quickly fix. Hmm. That's isn't that funny? Like that you would that you would sort of violate your own beliefs by accident in in a particular context or maybe in a in haste or something like that. Well, it's not so much that they violate their beliefs, although that can happen, but it's that they're not showcasing their strengths. So if um, let's let's use Ramona as an example for just a moment, because Ramona is very big personality, vibrant. If you went to her social media sites and they were more quiet and soft, there'd be that disconnect. And it, it might be that she had a shy side. I don't know. Um, but you could you could have that disconnect unintentionally. And so what the point of view does is it, even though it's kind of wonky and it feels like big and amorphous, it does start to point you and laser focus you into what's most important about your brand and how to differentiate yourself from everybody else in your space. Okay. So at what point, like, where does this fit in the process? So if you, if you took on a new client, you're sort of starting from scratch, at what point would you go through this exercise? What would be before it? What would come after it? What depends on you having this information? Um, well, I, I ask them to do some homework that they share with me. So from that homework, I know what their value is. Um, I know uh, how they work. I have access to, you know, sample client reports and product and, of course, their website and social. And we've had conversations about what it is they want to achieve. So what I do is I just try to put myself in their head and write the point of view as though I were them. So it's, it's the, the point of view for me doesn't come until we've, we've narrowed the big idea because, you know, the, you have to have the big idea, right? The big idea ultimately drives everything. And I can take a, sometimes I'll take a stab at the point of view first because it's for me. And again, this is very personal. Not everybody would do it this way, but for me, when I write, uh, it, it spurs my thinking on other things. So I might start to write the point of view and then it would give me an idea uh, as a way to phrase the big idea. But usually the big idea comes first and the point of view after. Right. Okay. It's fleshing it out. Okay. So this is, this is definitely hazy to me. So what, so you, and you already answered this question, but I'm, I'm going to ask it again anyway. So what decisions would it drive once you feel like you've got it nailed? So like, okay, now we've got the big idea, we've got this point of view, uh, and now we need to make some decisions and you're going to reference, potentially reference those things when you're doing what any, like any kind of public relations, like anytime you're doing marketing. It it drives your messaging. So from the point of view, you get, I call them sound bites. You'll get a few sentences that you use. 
Um, and, and we may recraft them to make them short and succinct and appropriate for media, but you'd get a handful of, of sound bites. And those are the things you use for media. Okay. That's, that's really why, why you do this in, in that respect. I do it from a brand standpoint because when I'm doing it for someone else, I have to make sure that I really understand them, that I really get it. And that, because part of the exercise is positioning them in a marketplace of competitors. So we have to find that exact right position that suits their um, their point of view, their value system, um, the marketplace, and their dream for their business. You know, is this, I just want a little pocket to do my thing and I want everybody to leave me alone or do I want to <laughs> corner the market? Um, so it's all that. And, and again, you know, let's just wipe that slate clean for a second because I totally get that this sounds amorphous. It's part of a brand process. But by yourself, independently, you can do this. It's just the I believe. And what that I believe can do as you continue to play with it, morph it, first time out of the box isn't going to be it. And you might, you know, pull it out a week later and, you know, rewrite it completely. But as you hone that down, that becomes part of how you position yourself relative to the other people in your space. What makes you different? Yeah, that I'm, the sound bites thing made it much clearer to me. It's like okay, because I feel like uh, if I were going to do this, if I just if we hung up the phone and I sat down and started doing this, I'd have seventy pages. This is, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I I believe a lot of things, so it's hard to 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 to. It's like okay, but when you said that, I was like okay, these are things that would probably surface in an interview about my area of expertise. So people don't want to talk about my views on homeschooling. Like that's not my area of expertise, but no. I believe lots of things about it. So, okay. Now, now I'm with you. So do you sort of, you sort of like put a little, uh, fence around like the 50 million beliefs that an old fart like me might have. And then, okay. <laughs> we just, just these ones, not, not everything. you, Not, yes. not everything yes. in the junk drawer. Well, and it's, um, you know, in, in my consultant brand course, there's an exercise that is, uh, it starts with, with the manifesto and then it becomes this point of view. But um, what I loved about the exercise is people come up with, you know, some amazing things that they didn't really think about because they're not writing it for the marketplace. They're writing it for themselves. So they can be as cheeky and as irreverent as they want. And I feel like, you know, your real personality comes out when you start saying, I believe you know, again, about your area of expertise and, and your brand and how you how you go to market. Um, but it gives your personality a chance to shine. Nobody else is looking at this. Just write it down. What do you believe? And after a while, especially if you come back and look at it, you'll see some things like, you know, maybe you believe the client's always right. And then you have this experience. You go, no, you know what? I'm tired of dealing with people like that. You cross that one off. <laughs> and you say, you know, I only want to work with clients who, you know, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Do you find that, do people get writer's block with this sometimes? Like, they just sort of get overwhelmed and they're confused by the exercise. They don't know what to say. Because I can imagine a lot of sort of younger folks that I work with being like, just staring blankly at me or, or staring blankly at the piece of paper. You know, I, I believe uh, spaces are better than tabs. And, you know, just to be very, <laughs> very specific to their craft a lot more specific to the craft than the the big picture or the uh I, i'm not sure what to call it it's like the it's like 
the more platonic ideal of the way they see their the world as it relates to their business or vice versa. And it's it's an opportunity to sit back and have big thoughts. But I, I, I know lots of people who don't practice doing that kind of thing. It can be pretty pretty intimidating. Well, I find the folks that have the most challenge with this are the newest, not necessarily the youngest, but the newest to the business. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of somebody I worked with who was in his early 50s who was new to consulting as as a career, had been in corporate life. And so, you know, this idea of a point of view was a little foreign. Um, But I think that um, it doesn't have to be this giant exercise. It can be really small um, by asking tighter questions. So if the I believe makes somebody go, oh, say, okay, <laughs> so um, what, how do you think of clients? Who are, who are your ideal clients? And they start to think about who that is and start to jot notes. Okay. And so what makes them great clients for you? You know, what, what are the problems that they encounter and you can jot some of those down and you see where I'm going with this, right? mm -hmm. You get to a point of view without feeling like it's this overwhelming blank sheet of paper. It's thinking about the practical realities of when you're at your best and how you really want to spend your time because we're, we're independents. We don't, we don't report to anybody and that's both fabulous and can be scary for people. You know, it's, there's nobody telling you what to do, so you get to decide. And as long as you're going to get to decide, why not make it fabulous? Why not make it exactly what you want? Again, provided there's a market for it. You've got to match this up with reality. Right, yeah. And and um, the answer that I most often get from people is like, well, I don't know what I want. You know, it's like, it's it's shocking how many people essentially, not in those exact words, but mm-hmm. uh, have a, and, and I think, well, it could be because I'm dealing with people with maybe less experience, whether it's because they're younger, they just have been full-time employees for most of their adult life. But it's, uh, it's, it's scary because they, they feel like they should have an answer, an easy answer to this question and, and they, it stumps them and it freaks them out. So it, I don't ask it in quite the same way, but it's usually more like, um, you know, what do you, if somebody is working with me, I'm coaching them, they want to start coaching. I say, mm-hmm. well, what do you hope to get out of coaching? And they're like, I don't know, I, more, more money. I want to have like $10 million in the bank or something. And it's wild <laughs> to, it's just not something that the average person thinks about, you know? So I think doing an exercise like this, if nothing else is exercising a muscle that needs to be exercised. Uh, but I do. I can imagine that anybody that has a big idea in the first place, I feel like this is probably going to be a much easier exercise for them because they're thinking at that level. It's their mm-hmm. their thinking is at a more of a strategic, conceptual, imaginative, exploratory place where they're trying to come up with new insights, and they're you know, and, and it's not like the the opposite of that, which is much more task oriented and putting out fires and, you know, trying to squeeze 80 hours of work into a 40 hour week. And, you know, that kind of like mm-hmm. that kind of drud, you know, uh, uh is not really the right word, but that slog of a work life, mm-hmm. even in, in, I'm still talking about independence, you know, people that are right. basically beholden to whale clients and the clock and tracking their hours and that kind of thing. And, and they're just like the idea of stepping back 
and thinking about big picture stuff. It's an adjustment, I guess, is what I'm, I guess, I guess that's really all it is. It's like an adjustment. It's something to, it's, it's a muscle to be exercised, I think. Well, and, and I think if, if you're in the slog, then if you do this exercise, it's sort of easy to have blinders on and just focus on the world always being the same as it is right now. Mm-hmm. And so I can almost tell if, if, if like three people were to give these to me, I could tell which one was in the slog usually. <laughs> right. And which it's one, very telling. And, right. Yeah. And, and, I, and I also argue that that's the one that needs this the most because, you know, when you start writing down what you're doing, you come face to face with it. And it's, very, it's a very tactical exercise at that level. And then you look at that and you go, oh, my God, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I, don't want ten, I don't want 10 more years of this. Mm. Let me think about this for a minute. Let me think about the whale client. What is it that I love about them? What is it that I can't stand about them? What about the work do I just love? And what about it drives me crazy? Is there a way I can put this together differently? You know, and that's when they, they might need a coach, you know, or some outside help to help them get over that hump. But it's the exercise will help them pinpoint what's going on. Yes, yes. So I can see somebody who's sort of down in the trenches, you know, saying, I believe all clients suck. They're super cheap. They're micromanaging jerks. And, you know, and immediately I'd be like, whoa, okay. We need to... Could happen. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay, this is this is right. getting clearer and clearer as we go along. I was thinking much more ponderously about the question, you know, I believe that for, me, for someone like me, that's like, I could write for a weekend. You know, I mean, that's just like a huge because I'm a ponderous guy. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I think about stuff like this all the time again, uh, you know, not just in my area of expertise, just about life in general. Right. And it's, um, it's, it's, I think overwhelming on the other side of, you know, it's, it's not writer's block, it's the opposite. But, you know, if, if you imagine finding that sweet spot in the middle, focusing it down on your clients, your work, um, your industry, the types of outcomes that you'd like to, to see, the changes you'd like to see made in the world, then it starts to become uh, probably easier to answer for people at both ends of the spectrum. And like we were just talking about now, quite telling about your, perhaps your current state, like, you know, maybe you need a vacation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the other thing is that, is that to your earlier point is that you can weave your life views into this. Um, You know, and an example might be like right now we have a very politically charged uh, climate in the U S and so I've, watched people talk about politics in a way in business forums they've never done before. And when asked about that, they said, well, you know what, I don't want to work with anybody who supports, you know, this side or that side. So it's, it, it, I mean, there is, it can filter in there. I'm not saying it should. Um, I just say it can, and it can take a lot of different um, forms that can take you in a, in a direction that you might not have gone otherwise. And, and I think that can be a really good thing. Hmm. I wonder how much do you think self-confidence plays into this? You know, like, <laughs> right. Because it feels like, cause imagining someone who takes a hard political stance, even though they're not in politics and they're just like, look, I'm not working with anybody from that side of the aisle. Tough. You know, mm-hmm. they just don't care. Like they just say, you know what? I don't care. It's not professional, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't care. 
this is my life. I'm running mm-hmm. it like this. But that strikes me as a very confident thing to do. Like that's someone who's not worried about where their next meal is coming from. So do, you, do you find that that's, is that just me projecting or is it perhaps true that, or, or, or is it perhaps untrue in someone who is, uh, I don't want to say the not confident or just less assertive maybe is what I'm going assertive, for. Assertive, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, well, is there a sort of a, could you get one of these that is very so, sort of soft touch? I suppose you could, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the problem with all these words is they're all judgment laden, you know, because we could say, you might say confident and might, I might say arrogant if it was, you know, depending on how they struck me and vice versa. Assertive is interesting. Um, but yes, I, I think some people are just more tentative. Uh, about opinions. I mean, there's certain opinions I have no trouble um, stating publicly. And then other ones I'm much more quiet about because for me, I, I really want to be respectful of individuals. And so I'm usually not a, you know, stand in your face, you know, spitting at you kind of person. Usually, just, usually not. Yeah, usually. I notice I said usually. <laughs> there are always exceptions to every rule. Um, but but then you've got other people who are extremely, to use your word, self-confident. And they say, fine, I just don't want to do that. Now, there could be an arrogance in there, too. And I just think that's a fine line. And that's in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. Right. It's those of us who are watching are the ones applying the judgment. And I my view of this is as long as you're being true to yourself, and I don't mean that that means you should just rake other people over the coals, but you're being true to your core values, you're being true to your belief set, like hourly billing is nuts, right? You're not backing down from that. Then, you know, then I think it's okay to push the envelope in ways that other people don't or won't. Right. It's it, Yeah. I mean, that's what you're hoping for. That's what you want to get to. You, yeah. you want to find a way to uniquely make change. So, right. So that you're, you're not yeah. it's sort of this sort of commodity marketing or, or management consultant brought in. It's like, oh, well, if, if he can't do it, we'll just get another one just like him. You know, you want to, this is all to serve a kind of uniqueness to, to create, you know, a market of one, really. It's like, it's like you either want to work with me or you don't. Like to me, that's the ideal thing where when mm-hmm. a client comes to me and they already know they want to work with me, they've either heard me on podcasts or, or they've read a million things or they've seen me at a conference and they already know, like they know what it would be like to work mm-hmm. with me. They already know my personality. They know the way I talk, the way I look, it, uh, the way I think it's all out there. So like, that's the best, you know, and they come to you and you're just like, yeah. you're like friends already. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? That's the point Ramona was making on on our last podcast is, um, you know, is to be yourself and to share things about yourself that that make sense. Right. That Mm. that make people get to know you. And we love that. We humans, we love that. We respond to that. We don't want to hire robots. We want somebody who's going to care about us and who's upfront with what they think and how they feel and what matters, you know, especially in this day and age. We love it. We love Mm -hmm. it. And then the flip side is for you as the as the provider or consultant, it feels so good when it's like this little love fest, right? When you <laughs> right. talk, maybe you talk on the phone initially and, and you both get off and it feels amazing. And then they sign on the dotted line, like 
really fast mm-hmm. and you start working and it's I mean, you know, I, I just think there's nothing like that. And and that's what we want for our audience is to have more and more of those kinds of experiences. Right. That perfect fit. So you can, op, you know, you, I love your term work in your genius zone. And it's, it's like, you know, to take it back to like, I believe all clients are from hell and you know, that kind of thing. It's whenever mm-hmm. I hear that, it's so depressing. Cause I'm, I know they're, you know, I don't know, but there's probably clients out there that would be, a great fit for this poor person, but for whatever reason, they keep attracting the bad kind, you know? And Mm -hmm. when I say bad, I don't mean globally bad. Like these are evil clients. What I mean is that they're a bad fit. Like the fit is bad. They keep attracting clients for which they are a bad fit. So of course it's torture, you know? And I, I feel like the way out of that trap is to go through exercises like this and start, here's the trick. Like once you, once you get it all established, sticking to it, you know, being true to it. Because yeah, if you are, yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. Cause if you, if you have, you know, whatever cash flow problems, if you don't know where your, your next meal is coming from, you're probably not going to stick to your core value. You know, you're going to be tempted <laughs> to not stick to your core values and take on a client that you see red flags and, you know, they still, mm-hmm. oh, this is just like that other bad client I had. And, you know, this is starting the same way. I see the signs, yeah. but I'm going to pretend I don't see them. And, take the check. So it's, you know, I know it's hard and like, you know, maybe this for people who are way down in the, in the dumps, this probably sounds comical, but you know, it really is a path out of that, you know, secure your cash flow, get a whale client that, you know, is keeping your lights on anyway, but you have time left over in your week to work on your business by thinking about Mm -hmm. things like, well, what is my big idea? What do I bring to the world? What unique point of view do I have to deliver? What are what are the things about me that are true? And what are the things about my ideal clients that are true? And how do I find more of those ideal clients so that I can get myself out of this, you know, this force march to hell? Well, and you know, when you're when you're deep in the hole, it's that's the hardest time to get out. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, you know, you're looking up out and it looks like such a long distance to get just to the ground, never mind to fly around. Right. (laughs) So that's the challenge. But, you know, there's there's one other idea I thought of as you were saying this, which is um, in terms of language, a lot of times and I'm talking about website language in particular, when you're attracting, you know, the broken, the tortured, it's because there's something about your language that is appealing to the broken, tortured. I 100 percent agree. Yeah. And so, you know, I find myself doing this sometimes when I write blog posts, I'll start to write it and I realize, oh, I'm writing it for that person, but that's not my client. Mm -hmm. Right. I can write for them because I understand their pain and I can see what's happening. But it's 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 you know, you have to write it or, or your language has to be such that it's attracting your ideal. And when you start to use language like is your business plummeting? <laughs> Are your sales dropping? You know, mm-hmm. let me come in with this software that's going to solve your problem. You know, that's that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So sometimes if you can just step back for a moment and look at any language, and that includes the language that you use one-to-one when you're um, scoping uh, the assignment itself, mm-hmm. right, is you try to look at that language and see what's happening. Because a natural tendency to watch out for people and to help them and, you know, quote unquote, take care of them uh, gone awry can be really bad for a, a consulting business. Sure. Yep. 
Wow. All right. So, I mean, I, I think, I think the, the clouds have finally parted for me. (laughs) That was, that was, that was a tougher one than usual. Yeah. My weekly therapy session, this was a trickier one. So, but we got, we wrestled it down. Thank you very much. It's, it's so funny that for two people that are so much alike, we can be, we can come at things so differently. <laughs> so cool. Is there anything we should uh, say to close? Or is there anything else that we didn't yet say? I just think we should, we should close on a reminder that, you know, there, I guarantee, and I bet you'll agree, Jonathan, I guarantee that you, the listener, have a unique point of view. Everybody in this kind of business does have one. You just got to, you know, just got to work to get there, but know that you have it. It is there. And as it comes out, you can start to see how to shift your business in ways that that will help you. Perfect. All right. Well, I guess that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next week for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.